So uh, in this first fireside chat, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, how we change the conversation for women in telecom. But first, I'd love for our uh, ladies up here to introduce themselves. Would you like to go first? Sure. Um, okay. Good afternoon. Sorry, my time zones, I'm still a little off on. Uh, good <laughs> afternoon. I'm Tess Van Thielen. I work for Rogers Communications in Canada. I'm based in Toronto, and I'm the Vice President of Advanced Services. Basically, I'm the general manager for all of the IoT and data center portfolio, um, and that's that's the portfolio I manage. I'm Sarissa Pru. Uh, I'm the Chief Marketing Officer for Ericsson North America. And just a fun question, I think. Was there anything during the pandemic that helped you get through maybe a new TV show or book or hobby? Oh, I so started, we can take notes. I started, I started doing subversive needle pointing, and that's been a very... A What's really, that? Well, so it's, it, it, it's a very feminist slogan, neat, like cross-stitching. So okay. I now I'm, cool. I'm a fiber artist, apparently, is what you call yourself in some circles. Um, and so I just stick things with a needle thousands and thousands of times over and over again. It's a really good outlet. Yeah, it sounds very... <laughs> that sounds really cathartic. It's very cathartic. You know, I, I bought a really aggressive horse and started jumping large objects. So, nice. yeah, that was... And binge-watched really violent TV shows on Netflix. So, yeah, probably not the peaceful... Yeah. I was just excited to, like, finally make it back to the gym. But, man, you guys are... Wow. Well, good for you. I didn't make it back to the gym. So, good for you. Thanks. Um, baby steps. Um, great. Well, I'm so glad that you're both joining us. Um, wanted to kick off with a discussion about why it's diverse important for driving performance. Sarah, do you want to kick us off there? Well, we, we're going to pivot a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So we had, a, we had a whole thing. We have a whole thing. We had a whole thing. But looking around the room today, what's interesting is I did a quick count, and my math isn't awesome, but we have about 30% men in the room today, which if you look at the executive ranks in telco in North America, is about representative. So I just let's just take a moment and look around and see what that feels like when the tables are turned. Yep. 27% are female leadership in North America. And so I think it's really interesting. We had a conversation that was a little bit more geared towards talking to men about changing the conversation. But I think we're going to have to flip it a little bit and talk a little bit more about, as women, with this conversation, um, with the representation that we have of men in the room, how we start to change that conversation with that group when we actually have the ability to do so. Yeah. We can't keep talking to ourselves. We've been doing this for 20 years, talking about women in telecom. And uh, right now, out of about 20 different major industry measurements, we come in third to last. Um, we're, we're behind oil and gas in terms of female <laughs> representation. Right? Think about that. We have a brand problem in telecommunications then, a major brand problem. As a marketer, I can say, you know, there's something to be fixed here. And you would want to fix it. If you said to leadership, we all know our executive, if we said there's one thing you can do that will give you 19% profitability on innovation ahead of your competitors, you'd race to do it. So. The one thing is diversity. Companies with above average diversity in their leadership and executive teams have 19% higher profitability on innovation than those that don't. They're 25% more likely to be profitable. 
than the bottom quadrant are the same. So these are amazing numbers. And these aren't made up. These are coming from McKinsey and Boston Consulting and those traditional white male bastions that our white males listen to, right? So these aren't fun makeup numbers, and yet we're still not seeing it. So I think the bigger conversation is also why are we not seeing that? I think we're talking to the wrong people and we're not having enough conversations. And it's not just about women, it's diversity overall. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. Yeah. I mean, when we talk about diversity, women is something that we're kind of going to have a little bit of a deeper conversation about, but it extends everywhere. It extends to every type of diversity. And so I think we have to recognize that also people who have multiple levels of diversity have additional challenges. If I was a black woman, I probably wouldn't be sitting here. I probably wouldn't have the career that I have today. And that's terrible because it's been hard enough to build the career I have today as a female. So when you start to think about people that are dealing with multiple levels of challenges, it's, it, it's very discouraging. Yeah. It's not a favor. No one's asking for a favor. You know, mm -hmm. when we look at the kind of performance differentiation you get with diversity, you're doing them a favor, right? Do we know how many women are registered for the conference? So today here in this room, we've got about 30% men represented. What do the women represent out of this conference? So I'm going to assume it's somewhere around 40% if we're lucky, right? So we've got... No, no. No way. Oh, no, no, not even that? Okay, well, I was, I was trying to be positive, yeah. trying to be positive, but I guess what I'm saying is we have the women at this conference in this room. Yeah. Right? So that also is something I think that's really challenging when we talk about, you know, how do we need to change, change the conversation? I think what you said is really important. Like, we're talking to ourselves, and that is a real challenge. And one of the things that I've found over the past year and a half as I've become more vocal about this issue within my organization and about this issue outside of my organization is the changing of the conversation really needs to be grounded in our experiences and be being more willing to share our experiences to help people understand what's really happening. You know, we have inclusion diversity programs at Rogers, which are great. And, you know, we have employee resource groups that are run by our employees that are doing God's work in trying to help bring these issues to light. But when I sit down with male colleagues in those meetings, they nod and they <coughs> smile and they say, yes, there's a problem, we need to do something about it. And then when we leave those rooms and we go for a glass of wine or we're having a coffee in the morning, they'll look at me and they'll say, but it's not really that bad, right? Like, there's a, there's a little bit of a problem, but we're going to get through it. Like, it's just a time problem, right? Like, there's going to be more women coming up through the ranks, and this is all going to get solved in the next 10 or 15 years. And I think you have some really great stats about... Yeah, well, I mean, there is really great progress, like you're yes. saying, um, you know. The number of women who are CEOs of Fortune 500s have doubled in the past couple of years. That's an amazing fear, because we've hit 15%. <laughs> it's a lot worse if you're African American. That gets you to four leaders out of the Fortune 500. So yeah, we're making progress. If you want to look at it globally, and that's the most advanced societies, and we all come out of global organizations for the most part here. So if you look at it globally then, if you look at it from the World Economic Forum perspective, um, we're looking at 139 years for that kind of parity in, in work. Um, and you know, I got a really interesting comment from a colleague who said, 
I don't have another career lifetime to put into this. Yeah. yeah. And I thought that was really a stunning remark. And I think you gave and the example before of it's not even the your daughter or well, that's it. granddaughter, thought, well, great granddaughter. It's, it's thirty years. And if you're yeah. talking at 139, that's not our daughters, that's not our granddaughters, it's not our great granddaughters. It's our great great granddaughters or our great 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 granddaughters. That's who that's gets, who gets the parity. of parity in the in the workforce and it's a really interesting conversation when you have uh, a relationship where you're, where frankly the men are trusting enough to say, I don't really think there's a problem. This is all getting sorted out by itself. We're going to be fine in a couple of years. It's actually really interesting to then look at them and say, let me give you a different perspective. Let me tell you about my experiences working here with you and your group <laughs> of men. And let me tell you what it looks like when we talk about the double bind that women live with in the workforce, when we talk about the credibility conundrum, and when we talk about the gender deafness that we experience day in and day out. And when you start unpacking that and really talking through it with them, that's where I have found the most meaningful interactions where they've said, oh my God, is that really, like, are you serious? Is that really still happening today? Because there is a real view that this is, a little bit of sour grapes, a little, you know, that it's not really a real problem, that it is being solved because we've made great strides, but they don't see it as something that is still insidiously impacting women in their workplaces and in their organizations day in and day out today. And that to me is a really interesting challenge because until you bring those real world examples and say, let me tell you about the time that it really is hard for them to believe that these things are really truly still happening day in and day out in our organizations. I think also because there's also even further than that, there's a perception that there has been a such a strong uh, desire to hire female talent or diverse talent that in fact it's somehow, you know, leaning in that direction. But if you actually look at the numbers, and particularly if you look at the numbers as you go up in leadership, that's not the story they're telling. You know, if you look at us in telecom, entry level, we've got about 37% female. By the time you get to more senior leadership, you've got less than 27%. So it's actually going down, and it's even lower if you're looking at uh, other diversity, additional diversity. So I think it's a matter of having the right conversations, but it's really, again, it's unfortunate because you know, thank you for coming for the male <laughs> leaders in this room. But unless we're having those conversations and the male leadership is understanding this impact, um, we're not going to progress. I had, you know, I had a really interesting conversation with a HR leader from a massive global organization I used to work with. And she said to me, women vote with their feet. And what she was saying was that they don't, they just don't stick around in an environment that isn't helpful for them. They simply leave. You're at much greater risk of having senior women simply leave as opposed to engage if they are facing this kind of environment. So one of the important things that we can ask of leadership and executive leadership is to have more engaged in very regular conversations because you won't have the chance otherwise. You will lose them. And, you know, as we've pointed out, there's great benefit in developing that kind of diversity in terms of profitability, in terms of productivity, in terms of innovation. 
And we are supposed to be an industry built on innovation. And do you all have examples of diverse teams that worked well or, um, you know, uh, any programs or initiatives within your organizations that have been impactful or, or supportive in a meaningful way? Um, I mean, I think certainly there are good uh, activities in terms of, you know, employee resource groups for all kinds of different diverse groups. and. You know, we have uh, training and promotional and uh, leadership identification for women. So all of that is going on, but clearly it's, 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 it's not enough. I would say from personal experience, one of the most amazing experiences I had um, uh, was uh, a number of years ago, um, I was working uh, at, at Intel actually, and there were three executive leaders on, um, networks and connectivity and IoT, and all three of them were women. I've never experienced that in telecommunications. Not only were all three women, one was Latina, one was from Senegal, an African-American woman, and uh, the third person was uh, South Asian. Um, and I remember being at uh, MWC and all three of our leaders were up there, and there was never another image like that in that uh, environment. And the bigger part, though, was that it inspired people to join that team. That was yeah. the active team. That was the place where people brought big ideas and got excitement and so on. So really it was a personal experience of that kind of innovation being brought forward you know, in a more diverse team. And it attracted more diverse candidates to say, that's the team I want to be on. Um, and we certainly see that. I mean, there are a lot of factors that attract people to companies, right? But we certainly see that people really look at what's the diversity like when they're making those decisions, I think, I mean. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the stat that I've seen is about 67% of job seekers are looking for diversity in the organizations that they join, and they're looking for it for a couple of reasons. One is they want to interact with people that are different. They want the benefit of that diversity, but it also shows them that the organization that they're joining is going to support them in moving up and moving around in their career, and so that's giving them you know, a, a real decision point or a data point as they're making a decision about where they want to go, that that diversity is supported in that organization. Mm -hmm. One of the things that Rogers did over the past year and a half that I think has been absolutely, we were really working off of, frankly, in our hiring techniques, you know, a little bit of an old technique. And so we moved exclusively to panel interviews where we require the panel to have a diverse slate of interviewees and we require the candidate pool that we're interviewing to have diversity in the candidate pool. And we have seen a dramatic shift in the hiring that's been happening in our organization because we're not having one person, the team manager, hiring. And I don't know if you've all had the experience, but I've moved into some teams and I've been like, wow, everybody looks and talks exactly the same. They're all dudes from a similar background, and there's nine of them on this team. And you walk in and you're like, this is really an incredible, and you talk to the hiring manager and you say, it's really interesting that your team is all very similar. And he'll say, well, they were all the very best candidates. And I was like, hmm. really? That's super interesting that they're all exactly like you. Like, you know, so it's important to have a hiring manager leverage the input from others as they are making those hiring decisions. And we've really seen a big difference in the talent that's coming into the organization based on just that small tweak. We also have really changed our job descriptions to remove some things that I think historically we thought were really important, 15 years of telecom experience. Like, 
like IOT is two years old. What, like, why, why am I looking for 15 years in telco when what I really want is someone who's really interested in robotics? That's what I want to hire into my organization. So we've started really eliminating some of these more arbitrary things out of the hiring process, and that's helping. But I think what's really been key for us is having the diverse group of interviewees interviewing a diverse group of candidates. You can't start the interviewing process until you have a diverse candidate pool. And that's been, I think, a fantastic shift. And I think what you were just saying also about not necessarily having come from telecom, I mean, let's face it, defining what we do here now in 5G and 6G as telecom is is, is rather reductive, right? We're we work in sustainability. We're building all kinds of capabilities. Yeah. Like you said, robotics, automation. There's so much going on. And so really getting out there and bringing people with you know, a diversity of domain experience um, is incredibly valuable. I mean, from my own experience in my own job, having you know, worked in uh, semiconductor, having worked in you know, big enterprise marketing, these are valuable to our industry. And if we just go and hire more teleco replicas, we're not going to get that advantage. We're not going to understand how we're going to build or go to market or build those plans for all the types of solutions that we're delivering against. And so it, it behooves us in terms of our, comp- our competitiveness. And we know the job market is super tight. We know there's been a lot of movement. And so broadening your candidate pool um, you know, is really incredibly important. So removing those things from the, the hiring end of it um, will get you those more innovative people who will connect the dots in a much broader tech, yeah. tech ecosystem for you. Yeah, that's a really interesting point and kind of makes me think of the, you know, coopetition with the hyperscalers and the telcos and having diversity of thought to keep up with those new competitive forces is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so also wanted to talk about uh, some other challenges for women in telecom. And Tess, maybe you can kick us off here. On You um, hinted at the tightrope double bind earlier. Mm-hmm. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think you know most of the women are going to be very familiar with this. Maybe not the, the title of it or the, or the language, but you might be very familiar with the experience, which is that you know for women, we have a pretty narrow set of behaviors that are acceptable for us. You know, I, I've seen some fantastic examples of leadership and the men that I've worked for, the range of things that they can do is much, much broader. They can slam their fist on a desk and they can yell at somebody and say, it's not good enough, we need to do better. I've seen them get up and leave the meeting because they're so upset with how something is going or the results of something and everyone goes, ooh, they're really <laughs> upset. But they never say, oh my God, he can't handle the stress. Oh my God, he must be going off and crying in the bathroom. Because he can't handle it, he's emotional, he's obviously not fit for the role because he can't handle the conversation. You know, in the range of acceptable behaviors for men are here, the acceptable range of behaviors for women are here. And you have to spend a lot of time in your career learning to moderate exactly how you respond to different situations and exactly what is acceptable for the different people that you're dealing with. So the added tax on your EQ day in and day out is much, much higher than what some some other people enjoy. Um, I've personally learned that if I have to have a really tough conversation, if I have to have a really problematic conversation with a, a peer or a colleague or a team, I actually have to tell my boss beforehand, there's going to be a really tough conversation because for a week or two, they're going to get told that I lost it in the meeting 
that I was super emotional and there was an outburst. And so I have to prepare them and say, this is the scenario. This is what's going to happen. This is what I'm going to do. I need to do it because we need to really get it out in the open and, and, and have the conversation. But I'm going to spend two weeks cleaning up the aftermath of my emotional outburst to make sure people under, you know, to, to, to get through it and, and return myself to a likability index that is acceptable for the organization. Sorry, you. Do you have to no. be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the answer is it depends, right? It depends on the individual. So, um, you know, most of the time the attempt is to be extremely rational yeah. in, in advice and guidance and using your professional background and knowledge to say, you know, this is, this is my area, this is what I know, and this is how I'm going to advise you. However, I will say, yes, uh, you pick the words carefully. I do expect a lot of men have dealt with male bosses with big egos, where they've had to yeah. pick their words pretty carefully as well. I do think it's tougher on us. Um, I do tend to also think that it's harder to be aggressive or passionate. You know, I think a lot of us are very passionate about what we do. And, you know, certainly from personal experience, I'm, you know, I am not actually a very emotional person, but me being passionate about my role gets me identified as emotional rather than passionate. And we, you know, there's a very positive association with, you know, that's a young passionate man. He's going somewhere. He's really he cares about this. You do that exact same thing, and it becomes emotional and potentially filled with risk. So there is still a ton of work to do, and and you know. I do think, again, that's not the stuff that we can just talk to ourselves about. We have to be able to translate that up because um, the result numbers aren't going to do it alone. We've got to have those conversations and really welcome them. And it doesn't matter if somebody gets it wrong. Um, you know, uh, the fact that someone is willing to have the conversation is what matters. That's progress, right? So I think we are all on the hook for yeah. doing a better job at that. Uh, and then Tess, we also um, in our you know prep call we talked about prove it and prove it again. Can yeah. you explain what that is? Yeah, so that's I think really attaches onto the credibility conundrum, and that you know there's going to be a panel on that a little bit later, so I won't try and do that. But it 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 really is just about the fact that we have to spend so much additional time proving ourselves at work. You know, we have to. Um, when I walk into a room with a male colleague, the male colleague's title will stand on its own and he will be provided with a level of credibility about that topic and decision making that I do not enjoy. And so I have many, many examples of walking into a room and in fact, interestingly, within my organization because I've been there for so long, I don't have this issue as much internally, but when I go out and talk to customers or frankly talk to vendors, it's really, really apparent when I'm having conversations, they will, I will be the most senior person in the room and they will talk to my team, they will not talk to me. They will, I will say something, they will look to my male staff member for affirmation that I got it right, and then the conversation will continue. And that happens 
I'm seeing a lot of faces and heads nodding. Uh, you know, I was in with uh, uh, one vendor. It was our third meeting. We were getting close to really starting to nut into commercial terms of things. It was myself, two members of my team, and my boss, uh, uh, the male SVP. And the vendor was doing some introductions, and they introduced my boss with great flourish and what he does. And, like, Ooh. and then they said, and this is Tess. She's our point of contact. <laughs> and... And my boss kind of paused and went, and I, I could see him look puzzled. And then they started talking, and they were talking to him. And he said, wait a sec, just I want to be really super clear right now. This is not my decision. It's Tess. She owns the business. She's going to make the call on who we're working with. So you need to talk to her because I'm not going to talk to you anymore because you are not speaking to her. And he hung up the phone and he left. So he left me there. It was like, whoa. <laughs> it was amazing because he saw it. It was amazing because he called it out. And when I was done with that meeting, he actually called me and he said, are you okay? And I was like, am I okay? I'm sure I'm okay. Like this happens all the time. Like, it's, <laughs> but what was interesting is having it be seen, mm -hmm. having it be validated, I actually got a little verklempt and a little teary because, you know, I don't look for slights. I don't want to find the microaggressions. But when someone else sees it and to feel so seen and so validated, was an incredible experience and to know that he had my back and to know that he saw it and wasn't gonna put up with it from anyone was a really, really powerful experience. Yeah, that's a, that's a, I feel like I'm gonna be thinking about that example for a long time, but um, do you feel like that's kind of one of the solutions is having that camaraderie and support of your team members and your supervisors to, is that a way around, like what, yeah. what is it? Yeah. Kind of some of the solutions to that issue. Yeah, well, I suppose. and I think for me, you know, kind of what I was talking about earlier with, you know, being able to have those conversations about what those experiences are, specific conversations about what those experiences are, helps people be able to identify them. You know, in the same way that I don't know what those microaggressions look like for a person of color, I, I can't expect every man to understand the challenges that I face as a woman in technology. And so the more I tell people about what those experiences with real, actual examples, mm -hmm. like this happens when I walk into a room, men won't talk to me. You know, when I walk into a room, they think I'm there to serve the coffee. Those are things that happen still today to me on a regular basis. And I think for many women here, it happens to you on a regular basis, right? And I think those are conversations to be had because I think a lot of men don't think that happens anymore. They don't think that when you go to a business dinner and you're the only woman at the table, there are times where no one will speak with you, where you can try and jump into the conversation, but it's all football teams or it's all, and you can't actually participate in a meaningful way in some of those conversations. Mm -hmm. Those are really hard experiences to have, to feel so invalidated and so invisible, and then to have other people hear about that and go, okay, that's actually real. You're not crazy. <laughs> see it and then validate it is, is, a, is, I think, the way you start to really see change. Because I think, again, a lot of people don't think that that happens anymore. They think it's, it's, yeah. it's fine. No, absolutely. I would say, so we do have a responsibility, all of us, right, um, to, to help and validate that way. Yeah. But not just women mentoring women. That's no. not solving it. Mm -hmm. I will say... Um, you know, it is a very difficult process, process. And it's difficult, you know, when you've invested your career and you have those questions. I will say, as you get older, uh, I found as I've gotten older, it's been easier. Um, that in alone, though, 
also. I remember what it was like to do this at 27 and 30. Um, and I think particularly as we need to grow that next generation of you know, innovative people in our organizations, we need to pay a lot of attention to the treatment of, of, of the young women and the young people of, uh, of color, other diversity, or LGBTQ, who we want to bring into our organization. Because I think it's much harder when you don't have you know, a good title to go with you. Even if maybe that, you know, you're, the, you're not the point of contact, but <laughs> you know, the title makes uh, a difference or simply the experience or knowledge of people in the room. And I think that we need to, to apply that as we try and do this uh, and, and make these changes. So mm -hmm. I think we need to be very conscious of that next generation of development and how much harder it is when you're starting your career and you want to be the organization and the company that attracts that great young new talent, right? That builds that diversity for the innovation. Mm -hmm. That's how you win. That's how we end up winning better in, yeah. you know, in the frenemy situation with these other <laughs> innovative companies around us, right? Yeah. Um, well, we've got just a few minutes left. Um, could you tell us a little bit about gender def uh, deafness? Sure, I think that's the easy one. That's like you try to talk and the dudes talk over you or you say something and no one else hears it and then the guy says it two seconds later and everyone goes, that's a great idea. <laughs> You're like, yeah, yeah I know. No. <laughs> only me? No, only me? No. Um, so I think what's interesting about that is that's really where you need to work with your peer group. You know, uh, we, we have a group of female VPs at Rogers. We're really tight tight to try and help each other. And one of the things we do is when we're in a meeting with each other and someone says something, we're always like, oh, that's a really great, I don't know if everyone heard, but that was, you know, mm -hmm. that was, that was, uh, you know, Kelsey's idea. I think it was a great one. And so they're just making, we're, you know, we're just trying to work to make sure that the ideas get attributed to the right person or that, you know, people don't get spoken over or mm -hmm. get, 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 uh, get, get kind of overrun in the conversation. I'm sure you've oh, experienced yeah. that once or twice maybe. I have had um, an entire room of people uh, just start talking amongst themselves as soon as I stood up to present. <laughs> My colleague was presenting uh, and I was up next. Uh, we were both in business development, very bleeding edge, early stage stuff in, you know, multi-antenna, beam forming and so on. As soon as I stood up, they all spoke amongst themselves until their VP yelled at them and then they all turned and sat <laughs> like this. This is real, right? How do you keep building a career in an environment like that? I think it's very, very challenging. And in some, you know, some days I do wake up and think, "What am I stupid?" You know, I think there are other ways. But um, I, I love what I do, and you know, I hope that if we keep having these conversations, and hopefully we can keep having these conversations with a broader set of people. <laughs> and you know what? Sometimes I personally, my experience is to keep going back and have the conversation with the most difficult person in the room. Yeah. That makes yeah. more difference, I found, overall. Um, if you can open up the most difficult people in the room, you can have real impact and you can target, you know, people of influence in your organizations. You can bring them data, you can bring them reality, and you can bring them experience. And I think that is all important. And then we also need our, our, our male colleagues to do that as well, to bring it forward. And, and make sure the discussion happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, to close out, do you have any um, parting advice for us or examples of, uh, you know, from your own company of diversity that went really well? Um, what, what are some of your um, key takeaways that you'd like us to part with? Well, I'll start and then you can go. So uh, my recommendation to all the men in the room is sit down with a female colleague that you respect and that you trust and ask them what's really happening in your organization and in your teams. And then when you hear it, believe them that what they're telling you is the truth. Because you're probably, the more senior you are, probably the less truth you're going to get. But if they say there's a little bit of an issue, there's an issue and you need to dig into it. And as a woman, what I would say is you need to talk about your experiences. You need to frame them in a positive way, but you need to, we can't be afraid to speak about what's happening in a positive way to help organizations move forward. Because there's a lot of people that think there's no problem. And we're excellent communicators as a group. Let's use that to our own benefit and try and help make sure people understand what's really happening and why we need to change things. And uh, I'm going to go back to playing the marketer again and say, again, we have a brand problem in Telco. And one of the things I would love to see is see uh, our organizations and, and companies collaborate more into making this a more diverse industry. Um, I think we are competitively on our back feet. Um, I think that we could do a great deal more. And I know from experiences when I've interacted and, and deliberately developed relationships with diverse communities, it has resulted amazingly against brand value and it has resulted amazingly in terms of attracting talent. Um, I can't emphasize that enough. Um, it, it, it's incredible the difference it makes. So if you think about that, think about how our organizations, I'd like to see a lot more industry effort, but organizations directly working together, um, I think we could have more impact. And to your point earlier, I think not only talking to those people, but thinking about the way language is used in your meetings. Just pay attention, you know, watch for it. Um, I think as, as if we adjust our perception a little bit, it, it'll help us a great deal. Um, so, but yeah, I'd like us to be a little creative about how we as an industry can transform our brand a little bit um, and how we can collaborate. For me, those would be great initiatives to take on. Well, Tess and Sarisha, thank you so much. Um, this has given us all a lot to think about, and I hope that you all will stick around for questions for you later. Thank you so much.